0: Welcome to Faster Please, the podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukis. Several times a month, I'll feature a lively conversation with a fascinating and provocative guest about how to make the world a better place through scientific discovery, technological innovation, and economic growth. You're also going to want to check out my Faster Please newsletter. You're on Substack throughout the week for fresh essays, Q&As, and stories from around the internet and around the world. Thanks to SpaceX, it's getting cheaper and cheaper to launch stuff into orbit. But just imagine if instead of using rockets, we could send cargo and people to space on an incredibly tall elevator. This may sound like a total sci-fi idea, but it has some grounding in real world physics. In theory, we could build a space elevator by putting a counterweight in geostationary orbit and attaching a cable between the satellite and Earth. An elevator could then climb the cable, delivering payloads to space at a fraction of the cost of propulsive rockets. As you can imagine, it isn't quite that easy, which is why I'm joined today by Stephen Cohen. Stephen teaches physics at Veneer College in Montreal and has been working on space elevator concepts for almost 20 years. Recently, he wrote, space elevators are less sci-fi than you think. For Scientific American, Stephen also has a new book, Getting Physics, Nature's Laws as a Guide to Life, which was released earlier this year. Stephen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Now, in the intro, I, I, I try to do my best uh, explaining what a space elevator is, but it's sort of the simple version. It's it, We have something big and heavy in orbit. A cable uh, extends down from that thing, attaches somewhere in the earth, and we run we run an elevator up and down it. That's a space elevator. Am I right? Sure. Now that we have what we can a a a picture in our heads, why is it something more than just an interesting engineering thought experiment? What sort of attracts you to it? Other again, other than sort of a, a technical problem that'd be interesting to solve on paper?
1: Well, it's space infrastructure, which is something we don't currently have and never have had. So, right now, and for all time we've accessed space. Going to space is like a one-off each time. Sometimes you have some reusable parts, but basically what a space elevator is, is a bridge instead of just a bunch of boats.
0: And the advantage of a bridge over boats is what?
1: Uh, Access. So right now, each time you want to plan a mission, to simply put something into orbit requires a lot of planning. Uh, the weather has to be right, and then you want to plan another mission, you sort of have to begin again. With a space elevator, you can just days in advance say, okay, we're gonna send something up to a desired orbit. And just hours later after that one would be sent, you could send something else. And, And you basically have a housing, that's what the climber is effectively, that you put the payload inside and up it goes. But I mean, we still haven't talked about, so that's the transformative part, but we haven't talked about really the cost savings, the energy savings, and that's just basic physics. So the way you get around in general is by applying forces, and that's something you do without thinking. When you walk, you push on the ground. When you fly through the air, you're basically pushing on air molecules, and they push back, but in space, you have none of that. And so what rockets do is they literally are the medium. The the fuel you bring is the medium you're pushing against. Rather, you're throwing it out the back. And so it's a hugely wasteful, inefficient way to get around. It's preposterous when you think about it. Um, But it's the only way we can get things to the speeds we need to get them to. And so just as a mode of getting things into orbit, this is extremely practical. Uh, you, you can't compare the efficiencies. It's orders of magnitude of difference.
0: It really strikes people. <laughs> when, they, when they hear the general concept, they really think it's like, it's something big and it's it, it sounds like it's amazing. It's, it, it's something that is science fictional, but maybe we could turn into science fact. There's something else about it. I think that just grabs people's attention.
1: Yeah, for sure. Because it's a physical connection to space. It's like, if you could just touch the cord, at the Earth port, then you're in contact with something that's reaching out all the way into space, which is wild. Um, but I think there's an element missing. People don't realize tethers in space are not a new thing. That's We've had missions since the 70s that are effectively two bodies orbiting Earth connected by a long tether, sometimes kilometers long. Now that's not in the ballpark of 100,000 kilometers long which is the you know a common number thrown out there for what the eventual space elevator might be um but a lot of the same technologies are involved the biggest difference is of course instead of two bodies connected by a tether so like a big spacecraft to a small spacecraft say this is a big structure connected all the way to earth the level the amount of tension uh, is tremendous, which and that's that's the big difference. That's what effectively becomes the big engineering challenge about it all
0: to be clear. So it would be connected, the cable would be connected to something large in orbit. And I've so, I, and that could be something we build, but I've also heard it maybe it could be a small asteroid. Am I confusing two different things there?
1: Yeah, no, uh, it, it doesn't have to be something we build, but likely it won't be an asteroid the the way this at least the first space elevator will likely be constructed would be you send the cable up in a spacecraft and that space and you drop it you drop you you sort of spool down the cable uh, over time and it would be a lengthy unspooling um so that the dynamics of that are super interesting but the point is at the end of it You've connect, you can now connect that cable to the ground. And what's good, it's good to have something functional at the other end, not just some, some mass. Of course, the mass you're going to have at the far end, the particular value of that mass, um, that depends on how long the cable will be. So to achieve uh, an equilibrium, um, you can't just choose any random mass. So it would have to be planned.
0: But let's get to some of the, the the challenges. And as you answer those questions, we may also find out why you think this is something that can be can can, can be done. Uh one, you mentioned that cable. That seems to be like the chief engineering issue, as you mentioned, finding a ultra strong lightweight material to make up that cable. Is that something that needs to be invented? Are we talking innovation? Do we need radical new science? Or can you see how that cable could be manufactured in, in, in a decade if we got serious about funding that kind of research?
1: So the key property is called specific strength. So it's not just strength, but it's the strength to density ratio. And uh, that property in a material existed since the mid nineties. Um, but it's very costly to, to produce, uh, time-consuming as well. Now, on both fronts, there's big improvements since then. Are
0: these carbon nanotubes? I always hear about carbon yeah, nanotubes. what the, to...
1: the two candidates that are talked about these days are carbon nanotubes and uh, just graphene. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- these options, um, so there are some issues with repeatability. So the process, you think you're doing it the same twice, but you don't get exactly the same properties each time. So you know, that it still needs to mature, but the the basic science is there. It's it's become a materials engineering kind of problem.
0: Is it an engineering problem that we just sort of have to work the problem and it'd be great if we had funding? But it doesn't require, again, it doesn't require a a a breakthrough, a a, a radical breakthrough. It just we think we know how to get there, it's just sort of resources and effort and time.
1: Yeah, yeah, It th- there are probably solutions to every problem that stands in its way. Um, I would say as the material problem is getting solved and as time is going on, a new problem is entering that is on the same level as the material problem. And that's our very, very crowded space environment. That is only becoming a bigger issue. That problem's only going to get worse with time. Um, And the equator is a fairly busy area. Um, It's very likely that the space elevator will be situated slightly off equator, and the mechanics of that are sound. That's not a, a
0: big issue. But on land or in the ocean?
1: So probably on in the ocean is the proposals I've seen. But uh yeah those are those are sort of the details i i would say and uh yeah it, it will come down to economics won't it once once the i mean we're still at the stages of design but there's really no company that is clearly in charge and no administration institution is you know pulling all the strings what we have right now is a big project with a bunch of academics scattered around the world that are, mm-hmm. I would say, dabbling in it. Um, a lot of work has taken place, I would say, low-intensity work. That is, you get 10 very useful studies done in the course of a year. That's peanuts right. for something this on this scale. So uh, yeah, yeah, there, there needs to be probably a champion or several uh, on the uh, business side, I guess. Um, but also, governments need to get involved for this to really take off.
0: Must be a, maybe annoying that you that you can't find a super billionaire who is you know they seem to be very interested in rockets. You need to find one who's interested in uh, a, a space elevator. That's that that would seem to be an important piece to the puzzle when you look at how uh, how things are going in in space and rocketry.
1: Yeah, I mean, on the economic side of thing, if you want return on investment. You probably need to work on uh, steps to get there. So partial space elevator, that's something which is basically a, a larger space tether. So space tether on the order of thousands of kilometers. It, But it's still not. So it's an easier challenge. Um, but the payoff isn't nearly as high. Um, yeah, there need to be small aspects that are worked on that have return on investment that get you there. and. Uh, you know there there are several that could be listed, but uh, if I could speak about the uh, the big investor of which you just mentioned, like there's another project that really reminds me of the space elevator, uh, something called Breakthrough Starshot. It's an attempt to send something interstellar, right? To to send to another star system a very small payload, you know, on the order of grams that we could then, once we get there, take a picture of, say, an exoplanet and send it back. And we'd get something way cooler than what our best satellites can can do. Um, That project also has a few major engineering challenges, but I wouldn't say science challenges. We're now at the point where there's a road to it. It's also probably decades away. Um, It has spin-off technologies. They're really very similar. I w- but, and the interesting thing is there seem to be investors putting more money into that one than space elevators that's my impression um not you know both loads of the, uh, money. doesn't mark
0: uh, isn't that a mark mark zuckerberg he isn't hasn't he put money in that i think if i'm not and i don't
1: i don't think he's the only one
0: yeah um, no but yeah yeah
1: so I, i'm not i'm not fully aware of all the happenings surrounding breakthrough starship but yeah. it's worth mentioning that the space elevator is completely transformative Or life in our solar system, really. Or, you know, we talk about colonizing the moon and Mars, and that would be really neat. But it's sort of a pipe dream if you can't uh, support it, you know? Uh, Sending a single person or several to Mars, that's a big, big undertaking. But now for them to live there in a supported way, the amount of mass you have to get there is tremendous. And you can't do this in a sustainable way without infrastructure. So the point I'm making is a space elevator, really transformative for the solar system. And I don't want to speak down on Breakthrough Starshot. I want to speak ill of that project. Totally cool. I'm on board. But that one, I would say, is more um, It's transformative in the sense that you could actually send something to another star, we've never done that before, but it wouldn't change life as we know it unless our picture happens to show uh, uh, something living on <laughs> an exoplanet.
0: So, so someone else's space elevator, perhaps. <laughs> uh, so the the um, so it's really the, sort of the economics and efficiency of uh, getting something off the ground into orbit uh has has that economic potential calculus been changed or will it would it be changed by reusable uh rockets i mean that's the because when we when maybe you uh first got interested is probably uh it was probably either pre-spacex or maybe spacex early days and those costs have come down those costs are expected to continue come down so so at some point does that make does very cheap, reusable rockets, does it make a space elevator irrelevant?
1: Right. So uh, before we get to the cheap chemical rockets, uh, cheaper chemical rockets, uh, there are other changes that have taken place. For example, uh, nuclear uh, rocketry. Uh, There's also the idea of solar sails and things like that. But of course, none of those can address the primary reason why a space elevator is useful, and that's to get out of the Earth's gravity well. Um, So that's where you need chemical rockets or, well, nothing else. Nothing else will do it because you need a tremendous amount of power in order to reach those speeds unless you can just climb along a cable. So uh, yeah, of course, those uh, chemical rockets get cheaper. It doesn't mean they necessarily become routine in the sense that weather will always be an issue, safety always a concern. Uh, they're not green, and if you intend to get really serious about space and the way people are talking about it, we are talking about such wasteful practices there. it's, it's just unconscionable in a way. So you know, uh, so that's not the economic side. I realize. Um, but yeah, a, an economic study needs to probably be repeated regularly to see uh whether this is the best way forward purely based on economics. You know, access, environmental considerations, those are other elements that also need consideration. Um but uh but but yeah, the economic story I'd say is evolving. Um Chemical rockets will always have a certain uh, ceiling that you just can't beat, and we're maybe getting close to it.
0: How long would it take if I <laughs> if I got into a uh, a space elevator elevator capsule on Earth? How long would it actually take to get up to that? Uh, let's say a space station.
1: Yeah, so in all likelihood, there'll be a station at Geosynchronous that's mm-hmm. 36,000 kilometers high, so about three Earths away. And it would probably take a week to get there if you could go in the area of, of the high-speed trains mm-hmm. we've become accustomed to on Earth. So yeah, that would be uh, you know, uh, beautiful views for a week. What's cool is, as you go up, the weight you feel goes down gradually. Until you reach this geo place and then you are indeed weightless, just floating there like they do in the ISS. However, you will have passed the ISS whew, long, long time ago because that's only three hundred kilometers off the surface of Earth. um you wouldn't you couldn't put a station there on the space elevator. Uh, physically, that just wouldn't work um geo geostationary is the the ideal place for a space station because it, Imposes new no new tension on the cable. In any case, it would take a week is the, <laughs> the short answer to that question.
0: Uh, but a, again, a, it would be a far a, that week would be a far more relaxing experience than um, taking than, than taking a rocket.
1: Uh, but let's be clear, this would be way cheaper once you've got it operating. One of these, you wouldn't pay millions of dollars a person. That that not a, not even close. I, I can't know exactly what the number would be, but it could be a 100 times less for one person uh, once this thing's really up and running. Plus, you don't have to spend a week going to GEO and a week coming back. If we're trying to recreate the experience of going up to 300 kilometers, it could be an hour up and down and you've achieved a nice view of Earth.
0: (laughs) Uh, It's an interesting concept, but one uh, which is probably, I think, maybe used more in uh, scientific Uh, literature than in movies and tv shows about i think the uh the first time i ever saw one on a screen was in the recent i think the foundation the tv series based on the foundation by isaac asimov uh where they had a space elevator now now of course the space elevator spoilers uh the space elevator in that show there's a terrorist attack and it falls down and just kills is there something is there a portrayal of this technology in science fiction that you're aware of or that you think is interesting? Well, uh,
1: yeah, there's some artistic license perhaps going on there. Uh, What what would happen if it's severed, if that's the conversation we're having. So the portion beyond the severance likely is gone, never to be seen again. And so uh, and then the portion below, it's uh, Its future <laughs> uh, really depends on where the severance happens. Exactly what that looks like, but there was a study done when I was doing my master's, geez, in like two thousand five, two thousand six, I think. Um, someone named Paul Williams, if I remember right, he he did animations on exactly this question, and yeah, it flies down to Earth, the lower portion below severance, and uh, yeah, I would like paint a line on the equator, whatever didn't burn up in the atmosphere on the way down. But we're talking about a cable that's like one meter wide and very Mm -hmm. thin. So don't imagine a building collapsing that's wrapping around the equator. It's a rubber band if you want to imagine something.
0: The piece you wrote uh, in Scientific American, have you gotten any feedback on that from uh, from uh, other, you know, other scientists, astrophysicists, engineers? What kind of response Mm -hmm. have you gotten, if any?
1: Oh, I've gotten letters from high school students. Can you tell me this? Can you tell me that? It was a completely honest piece. So I, I'm i not uh, what I would even call a space elevator advocate. But the moment I start talking about it, I get excited. So, you know, to, to be clear, uh, yeah, there are definitely a quick perusal of, uh, you know, some of the online message boards reveals a lot of, well, trolling, uh, (laughs) where, you know, uh, some people may be informed, some people who aren't uh, just, you know, write a thousand reasons why this will never happen, X, Y, Z. Um, But most of the feedback I've gotten in the circles I would pass through are just, that was delightful to read.
0: (laughs) You know? no, Yeah, I, (laughs) I think it approached it with the, the appropriate level of seriousness for something that's it's interesting uh it's it's not tomorrow uh, but it's it's possible and let's let's give it some thought I mean that doesn't seem that doesn't, that, that seems like a, a very reasonable approach to the issue
1: yeah I'm a I'm a college teacher. At this point, uh, I've worked in the space industry, but my goal is to capture people's imagination when I'm in the classroom. That's at least a big part of it. And so the space elevator ticks a lot of boxes in that department. Exactly where it'll go in terms of economics and all that, uh, I don't really know. And and in my uh, day-to-day life, uh, space elevator is something I dabble in when I have free time and when I feel like it. You know uh it 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 is like uh something i write about in a small part of the book that i released recently that i published recently but it's it's mostly a general physics book for example it's not the focus of my life
0: (laughs) um if we if we let's say we we elected an american president who said no listen this is this is something we can do um we're going to devote resources this is a new apollo could you with enough effort could you say within a decade we could have uh a a space elevator if we had that kind of enthusiasm and allocation of resources
1: i think in a decade we could have a a design that is pretty mature and i think a decade after that it could be built but that but again that that would take the kind of Uh, backing that is uh, associated with serious projects. And you talk about many countries coming together. So I would actually, sorry to go on a little tangent, there was a, a, a film that had a space elevator recently released in China. I cannot recall what it was, but a lot of the recent conversations I've had because of that Scientific American article were were from that We're a reporter, journalists in China wanted to know more about space elevator. Their question for me was uh, on the lines of what you just asked me: Is this realistic? And I said, probably true that the engineering challenge becomes a bit smaller than the challenge of getting all the groups to do this thing together. You know, uh, the the scale of the teamwork cooperation. For a project on this scale, this is a lot bigger than the International Space Station. Not just in in terms of its physical size, in terms of, gee, things like space law that come into play, all kinds of areas that some of which we haven't even considered yet.
0: Uh, you know what? That, that may sound like a bug, but I don't know. Maybe that's actually a feature. Get everybody together working on something. Stephen, thank you very much. This was outstanding. Thank you for your time.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.